Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill along with Hunter Brody on the Sports Batch 97.3 ESPN. This hour Sports Batch being brought to you by Matt Black Kia. Matt Black Kia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. Joining us now, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. Talk some Sixers. We've got two scrimmages under our belts. But as he's seen also, we'll touch on with him with about MLS because MLS had their own COVID-19 issues to start, but they got that ironed out and fixed out. Maybe there might be a parallel between what the MLS went through and what baseball is going through now. As I said, Kevin Kincaid joins us now on the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Kev, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Josh. You know, as you said during the break, uh, without Mike Gill in the studio today, somebody has to represent West Virginia University. It's certainly not me or Broads, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, but that's what I'm here for. <laughs> so, Kev, obviously one of the big things over the weekend has been the Sixers because they got a game on Friday, we got a game on Sunday. So I'm just going to leave it open-ended for you to kind of drive this to initially start. You know, What have been one of or a couple of the biggest takeaways for you from what you've seen for the first two scrimmages? Well, I mean, I think you got to start with Ben Simmons, right? Uh, you know, all this all this talk about, well, they're going to play him off the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's going to play power for it. I think Brett Brown dropped that quote like two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, something like that, and we got so much mileage out of it, out of that topic and that quote, maybe maybe because we were excited about it or maybe just because we were looking for anything to talk about that didn't have to do with COVID at that point. But he followed through on it, you know. I mean, they, they moved Ben Simmons around. They used him in a lot of different ways. You saw him playing off the elbow. Uh, you saw some dunker spot from him. You saw some corner uh, from him. You know, you saw three pointer, and uh, you know it was it was kind of. I was on vacation um, over the weekend, but I watched a replay of the the first scrimmage and then caught a little bit of the of the second one. And, it, and it's just it's going to be a kind of high, hybrid kind of thing. You know, it's um, you know they're gonna they're gonna want the ball in his hands. They are going to push the pace, you know, off of misses. And then when they, when the opponent has made baskets, they're going to walk it up and let Shake Milton uh, carry the ball and have Ben Simmons run some stuff at the elbow, some horn sets and things like that. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be one thing strictly. It's going to be kind of a hybrid of moving him around in different spaces, using a lot of his different skills because he's a guy who does a lot of, a lot of different things. But um, so far, so good. I mean, I like the way they used him. We have seen him take a three-pointer before and then go quiet. If he doesn't take one next exhibition game and then maybe even the first game of the regular season, is it time to be concerned if we're actually going to see that three-pointer actually happen in the playoffs? Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> there's, no, there's nobody to boo you. Uh, you know, you have another scrimmage come up here. You have eight games that pretty much mean nothing uh, before the playoffs. Like, if it's not going to come now, then I don't think it's ever going to come. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to come earlier in the season. You know, the, the Glanzu game where he shoots a three-pointer and hits it. You had the Cleveland three-pointer, and then he had another one against, uh, I don't know, maybe it was Toronto. I can't remember. But, uh, I mean, all the circumstances are there for it to happen right now. I mean, he's playing without the ball a little bit. There's no fans there. You know, we heard about the sports psychologist or whatever. You have uh, Brett Brown talking about the uh, paradigm shift, right? So, I mean, this is the perfect place for, for him to, to, you know, bring it bring it along. You know, and we, we all saw the millions of videos of him shooting before the game and 
Uh, we felt like we had taken a step forward at the beginning of the season, and then it kind of died off. So, yeah, if, if not now, then when? I mean, that's what I would boil it down to, if not now, when? Because you're going to have the same problems with Ben off the ball that you're going to have on the ball. You know, if he's on the ball, teams will probably sag off him and invite him to shoot a three-pointer. And if he's off the ball and he's standing in the corner, teams are going to sag off him to double-team somebody else as well. So you're, you're, you're always going to get that issue with Ben, no matter whether he has the ball or doesn't have the ball. So at some point um, – you know, it's funny because we talked to Elton Brand about it, and we asked Ben Simmons, and their, their canned responses was like, well, you just want to make the best play. Well, at some point, the best play is going to be to shoot the wide-open shot that's in front of you. So um, it's a good sign, and uh, we'll see if he continues with that tomorrow and Saturday. What does it also say about Ben that he got to the foul line in yesterday's game? Yeah, he only went 4 for 7, but to me it's also a positive, his willingness to allow himself to be in that position to get fouled and go to the line. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to see that from the elbow where maybe he can pick up some cheap fouls. And he's definitely big enough when they put him down in the dunker spot, he can get some low post uh There's some posts of some mismatches and stuff like that. He's always going to be able to drive, uh, cut without the ball, uh, drive with the ball, cut without the ball, and get himself to the, to the foul line. And, you know, if he can get in the habit of doing that, that's great. Um, and that's also going to be the catalyst to, you know, means to an end to get him to shoot more because we often think that, you know, if a guy is shooting more free throws and he gets more comfortable from the free throw line and he gets his foul, foul shooting from 60% up to 65% to 70%, that that's going to translate to to him being able to shoot jump shots and shoot three-pointers for sure. You know, you don't just go. When we look back at it, it was a little naive, I think, of all of us to think that he was going to go from being a 0% three-point shooter to a 30% three-point shooter. You know what I mean? Like, there's no step in between there. It's like you're going from point A to point C when naturally everybody goes point A to point B to point C to point D. And, uh, you know, the, the part that was missing was, uh, you know, getting his, his free throw percentage up. But, yeah, I mean, the way that he's playing, and especially if they're going to use him off the ball like this a little bit in that kind of hybrid setup, I mean, that that's a means to an end to get, to get where uh, where everybody wants him to be. Should we be worried about Joel Embiid's calf injury? I don't know if this particular injury is something that concerns me too much, but I just wonder if it could linger down the road to the point where we're getting game-time decisions for Embiid, which we have seen in the past. Yeah, I don't know. I just... <laughs> the whole thing just gives me a headache because it's like you're supposed to be going into this with like a, you know, like a second lease on life, right? You know, the Sixers weren't playing that well. COVID-19, fortunately, not to, not to make light of a serious situation, but it comes at a perfect time where he can take a step back. They're in sixth place in the East. There's a lot of negative publicity around him. Everybody can pause on the Sixers. Joel Embiid can get a rest. Ben Simmons can get a rest. And the first thing we hear from Joel Embiid is that he says he hated the idea of the bubble. You know, so he doesn't probably doesn't even want to be down in the first place, um, or he's not too excited about it. Then you hear about this, and uh, then you hear about Brett Brown talking about 38 minutes in the playoffs for him, and another radio host is going to walk down Market Street in his underwear if we reach that point. So already it just feels like it's just not the right – I don't know, it just doesn't feel like the right like frame of mind or the right like cloud hanging over Joel Embiid right now. It's just – you know, I think when you have something small like this before you're really doing any any serious work, you know, just practice work, of course it's going to make people scratch their heads. But um, we're going to find out. I'd, I'd be more concerned with, with where his head's at, whether he wants to be down there versus anything physically. But you never know, Joel. Kevin and Kay joining us here on the Boardwalk Hunter Hotline on 97.3 ESPN. Of course, you can follow on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid from Crossing Broad. Kevin, you mentioned him being his mindset. You know, I remember about a you know, week and change ago when he spoke, he mentioned, he's like, I owe it to the city. I owe it to my teammates. Like, he treated it almost like a, a level of, you know, he's not going because he per se 
loves basketball, quote unquote, it's because he feels like he owes it to the city and owes it to his teammates. You know, so then what do you think that impact could have on his mentality? Because, you know, maybe he's not there because he, quote unquote, really wants to be in the bubble but because he thinks he owes it to people. Well, it's nice to hear that, isn't it? The fact that he's like, that he thinks something of his teammates or he thinks something of the city and he's not going to be selfish. I mean, he could have opted out if he wanted to, right? Um, so it's nice to hear, I guess, that your priorities are sh- straight, but I would like for him to say, yeah, I want to win because I I want to win. You know, I like, where's that, that dog that like, uh, you know, that, that Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan kind of mentality, you know what I mean? Like you, you should want it for yourself too. You know, it, it's okay to be a little bit like, Hey, I want to play for myself and I want to be the best I can be. And I want to, you know, show what I'm capable of. I don't think that, that, that makes you selfish necessarily. I think it just means you're an, an ultra competitor, you know? And I think that it goes without saying that if you compete for yourself and play hard for yourself and by default, you're helping everybody around you and you're playing for other people as well, uh, because you would probably be winning and everybody would be happy, you know? But I would just like to see him, uh, you know, it's like that killer instinct, I think, that people are looking for. You know, I mean, it's nice to hear him say those things, that he's playing for the city and he's playing for his teammates and stuff, but I also want him to play himself too and feel like he loves playing basketball and and feel like uh, this is something that he really wants to do instead of you know wearing the hazmat suit down to orlando just to play uh fifa in his hotel room it's funny you mentioned about the mentality because and i'm i when i ask this question i don't mean this as a negative against Embiid. so i feel it's a shame not to preface it that way but i guess i have to yeah you know for me there's something to be said for the fact that joel Embiid says all I do is go home and play video games and I don't really go out. Whereas Ben Simmons spent the, the shutdown working out with LeBron James. Like, is there something to be said for the fact that, you know, Ben Simmons has gotten LeBron rubbing off on him and Joel Embiid has got video games rubbing off on him? <laughs> yeah, and look, I don't, like, I don't mean to be insensitive because, I, you know, it's, it's not my place to tell people how to feel about COVID. You know, I mean, if you, it's, if you really think it's a health risk and, um, you know, you don't want to take that risk and you just want to protect the people around you, I can never sit here and criticize what anybody does with their time during the break. Um, on the other side, some people were saying, well, why is Ben traveling around and doing this stuff? You know what I mean? So, But I think it's just uh, you look at where the motivation comes from. I mean, you guys remember all the nonsense of Charles Barkley and, Shaquille O'Neal a couple months ago where they criticized Embiid and then he took the criticism and he went up and dropped what like 40 points on Boston or something like that you know and then they had the, the post game afterwards where he said well I heard you guys I heard the criticism and whatever well it, it's you, you gotta get it so we've been on this like Joel Embiid roller coaster for like the past like three years where it's like well I love playing the game and I don't love playing the game or I do love like you gotta get to that everyday kind of like I'm a competitor I'm a dog mentality you know, where it just becomes automatic and you don't have these emotional swings back and forth where you need national pundits to come in and criticize you to, to, to play your best, you know. So it's just kind of finding that groove for Joel, and I don't, I don't really know what it is necessarily. How many minutes do you anticipate Joel and Al Horford to get on the floor together? Brett originally said that in Orlando they did not get time together, and then in Game 1 you saw them on the court together. And in the past you also heard 38 minutes-ish for Joel Embiid is what they're targeting. I can't be satisfied if that means Al Horford gets 10 to 12. So how many minutes do you anticipate them on the floor together? Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a, a good question because I think it depends on how they want to use Ben moving forward. Because if you have Joel at the five, Ben's playing off ball. It's kind of like a we'll just say he's a four. Tobias Harris at the three, Josh Richardson at the two, and then Shake Milton handling the ball. 
um, you know, you can stagger their minutes based on who your matchup is at the same time, too, because Ben's big enough to defend opposing fours. You know, so if you wanted to stagger Joel Embiid playing the five, give him a rest and have Horford come on, you can stack uh, Ben Simmons and Al Horford's minutes together, and that way you're going to have two of Simmons, Horford, and Embiid on the floor at once. You know, and if you face Giannis or, or Pascal Siakam or, or something like that, you're always going to be able to have a guy who can defend him. Um, but, you know, then if you go back to Ben Simmons handling the ball, is Al Horford just standing in the corner. You know, he had a bunch of threes the other day. But uh, I, I don't know. It's hard to say how much of how much of the Simmons off-ball thing was just trying to find a different role for Ben or expand game versus they weren't really sure what they wanted to do with Al Horford. Because, I mean, you guys remember, but before the injury back in the winter, you know, we made a big deal of Horford being benched. You know, that lasted like two or three games or something like that before Ben, ben Simmons was injured, too. So um, I don't know. It's a good question, but I, I think it's kind of dependent on what, on what kind of matchups they get. Now, you mentioned Al Horford and how the conversations with him have been all over the place. What do you think the long-term future is for Horford on this team? Because I would argue that some of the move of Ben Simmons off the ball has to do with the fact that the Horford experiment may not have worked out. And if the Sixers go on to have this deep playoff run with a lineup of Milton and Simmons and Harris and Embiid and Richardson... Doesn't that leave Al Horford's future in Philadelphia in question? Yeah, I mean, well, you would ask yourself, right? I mean, why why would you pay somebody that money if he's just going to play a peripheral role? You know, if he's going to come off the bench for 14 minutes, or if he's just going to be Embiid's backup, or you're going to stand him in the corner and ask him to be a spot up shooter, a stretch four, or something? I mean, it seems like a waste. Like, why would you why would you do that? Why would you bring somebody in for three years and that kind of money to do that? But. I mean, at this at this point, it is it is what it is. You know, I think that's a question that you punt at the off season, and you try to make this work. You know, this new role for Ben Simmons and now and say to Al Horford, look, you know, the first year was rocky, but we're going to try to do it this way, and then we'll reevaluate it in the summer. But uh, yeah, I don't know where you would move him or what you would do with that. But I think it's I think it's too, too, to be determined. You know, I think that I think the switch with Ben Simmons playing this hybrid like ball ball, sometimes carrying the ball up in transition role, it just uh, that that in itself is going to help to determine what happens to Horford at the same time. How impressed are you with Shake Milton? It's not really about, at least for me, it's not really about what he's doing in these exhibition games per se, but it's just more about his skill set and how I think that it can translate to when games matter. It's about how he drives to the rim, knocks down his shots, the pick and roll game is now there. He can shoot off the dribble. I mean, how impressed are you with Shake Milton? Yeah, he's just, he, he it seems to I don't know how to explain. He, he he plays like he's older than he is. You know, he, he just looks more comfortable than somebody his age typically is. You know, and he plays within himself. He doesn't try to do too much. He doesn't try to to, to to rush things or push things. I think he understands what his limitations are at the same time. And you know, some exclusivity as the ball handler. You know, he's going to grow exponentially in that role. Um, you know, it's interesting because we <laughs> a bunch of guys, Zaire Smith, Matisse Bible, Shake Milton, you know, all these, all these uh, prospects they have at the lower levels. Uh, you know, when Shake was dropping 40 points in the G League not long ago, um, it didn't seem like there was as much excitement for him maybe as there should have been or, or could have been. So uh, all of a sudden you kind of blink and you look up and he's in the starting lineup on a playoff team. And it's like, huh, you know, it's, it's a good story. And I don't, I don't know, it just kind of flew under the radar for me. Kevin, speaking of flying under the radar, I don't think we would be remiss having you on if we didn't mention what's going on with the COVID situation. Obviously, you know, the Philly situation, they're being tested. Well, the NBA 
zero positive tests. The NBA has all these hyper restrictions. You know, it's a, you know, you step outside the bubble line, you're getting quarantined. Lou Williams goes to a strip club to pick up wings. He's getting quarantined. You know, you you got all these situations where you have the NBA basically saying we're strict. This works. And I feel like that that's an example to the other sports of, Hey, this can be done, but you got to draw the line somewhere and don't let people cross it. Yeah, yeah, literally and figuratively, if you're Rashawn Holmes walking right. outside of the hotel to, to pick up your Grubhub or whatever it was. No, listen, my, the last time I was on with you, Josh, we talked about the idea that, look, look, none, none of these, no, no return to sports is going to be perfect, right? Okay, and we're trying a bunch of different models here, and we're going to figure it out as we go. And there's going to be some bumps along the way, and we're going to see what works. Okay, NWSL uh, had a team that had a bunch of positives. They didn't even travel to Utah, okay, and they still were able to put together a successful tournament. MLS had to send two teams home from the Orlando bubble. That Once they took care of that issue, now they've had zero positives as well. Uh, the NBA, what the NBA did really well that the other that MLS and NWSL didn't do is that they asked the teams to get there a lot earlier. You know, and they kind of now they've been in the hotel for two or three or four weeks before they start playing so they could get the situation taken care of, get the testing down to zero before they start playing, right? So each of the, you know, and they've had their issues, you know, Rashawn Holmes and, um, you know, people not wearing clothes when the you know, housekeeping comes around or, you know, Lou Williams or whatever, and they're working through it too. Uh, you know, MLS had to send teams. Home. So everybody's had their issues, but then MLB, you know, you, you're looking at the, the issue of, of not having the, the bubble to fall back on here. So what's the solutions with, solution with the Marlins? You can't send them home, okay? You can't just uh, eliminate them. You can't just, uh, you know, quarantine them in the hotel. You can't send them to another wing of the Dolphin and the Swan Resort, right? So you're, you're seeing here, <laughs> you know, one method of doing it, another method of doing it, and the bubble is just allowed for the problems to be contained. They just provided more possible solutions to problems uh, that would come up along the way, problems that we've never tried to address before. Um, but it just seemed like the bubble just kept everything more contained and there was more options on things of on, on ways to proceed. So that's that's the thing with, with MLB, because I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe the Phillies are infected now, maybe the hotel workers, you got employees in the Citizens Bank parking lot. Looks like a really early tailgate before a Guns N' Roses show. They're getting nasal swabs. So I mean the whole thing is just a mess, but I think it, it, this this if anything it says okay well the NBA MLS NWSL I mean the bubble seemed to seem to work and that bodes well for the NHL as well. Well, I'm not going to lie during the whole process of the owners and the players in baseball going back and forth. There were times where I looked at the players and I said, "You guys are being selfish in this whole scenario." Not that the owners are right, but the players were definitely a problem as well and the initial reaction to what's happening I feel is wow I can't believe baseball screwed this up but if you remember the players had an opportunity to do a hub city there were plenty of hub cities on the table and they said no they did not want to be away from their families for so Mm -hmm. long so should they be blamed to an extent for this situation as well that doesn't put the league out and say you know they deserve no blame but the players were a big part of saying no to the hub cities yeah, no, they were. And it's a good point. It's something that should be reiterated whenever we talk about this. And the other weird thing is like, you know, to me, it feels like it was just like last week that we were talking, that we were ripping baseball to shreds and baseball is dead. Oh, they're never going to figure this out. You know, it's millionaires arguing with billionaires and we don't care if baseball ever comes back and blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden they have this deal came to the secret. Well, they didn't really come to an agreement, but we have a, a deal on the table, something that we're going to go forward with. And then like three weeks later, it's like, oh, we're playing baseball. It's like we jumped, we jumped in like a time, like a baseball time warp from like baseball's dead to all of a sudden we're playing. 
and uh, you know, it just felt now in hindsight that all just felt kind of rushed. You know, I mean, it's like okay, we're playing, we're figuring out the testing as we go, but we got to make up for lost time here. We got to like uh, make up for the bad publicity or something like that. All of a sudden, we come out of it, and it just seems kind of loose, even though they have the same 100-page manual and health protocol and whatever that everybody else has. But I think the thing that bothers me most about this is that the Marlins came together as a team and said, yeah, we're going to play anyway. You know, it's like, what the, what the hell is that? <laughs> it's like, we, we don't, you know, like restaurant owners and restaurant workers don't have a huddle up before the evening shift and say, well, you know, we have three people who are positive, but we're going to serve food anyway. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that. Cause it's not, it's not, it's not about you. You know, I think it's the hardest thing for everybody to understand. It's not about you. Uh, and I know it doesn't mesh well with what we are as a country and individual freedoms and making your own decisions and being responsible for your decisions and stuff like that. We're not really set up well to kind of deal with this. Our, our values do not interface well with what is required to get through a global pandemic. But uh, that's the thing that bothers me the most, the fact that they were making decisions that were okay for them. But it's not about what's okay for you. It's what's okay for everybody else. Well, it gets back to the conversation you and I had before about the MLS. You know, the MLS had the situation with the D.C. and Nashville teams, and then they're basically don't get to go to the tournament. And it seems like the MLS learned from that mistake, and it seems like the NFL is looking around and saying, the NBA did this, the MLS did this, we're going to learn from that. And baseball is just sitting there being like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, they just, you know, it's... That's the most baseball thing is that they, again, that it, it's so ironic because it's like it, it goes with their thinking of we don't need to change anything. The game's fine. They don't care that they're hemorrhaging like millennial and Zoomer uh, viewers and, and, you know, nothing's wrong with their sport. It's fine. We're going to do things the way we want to do it when they had all this opportunity. Um, and I know all the sports, too, should have been watching Europe. They should have been watching UFC. They should have been watching the Bundesliga and the Premier League and all these leagues that came back and taken bits and pieces from each of those. And we're going to take, you know, what we learned from the MLS bubble, what we learned from the NBA bubble, the NWSL bubble, what uh, the, the NHL is doing with the hub cities. Here. We're going to piece it all together and we're going to learn. And this is how we do things. But baseball just seemed to say, like, well, we have this idea of what we want to do and we're just going to go along with it. And now we're in uh, a situation that, seems untenable to me. Kev, you mentioned UFC, and that's kind of where I wanted to go with my final question before we let you go and appreciate your time here. Mm -hmm. By the way, follow King Kevin Cade on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid, crossing broad, joins us here on the Boardwalk Out of Hotline. You know, MLS, I think part of the reason why they came back when they did was to try to grab the opportunity that there weren't people watching these other sports. And mm -hmm. now the numbers are coming out that, on ESPN at least, the UFC is more frequently getting better numbers and ratings than the MLS game. So, you know, does it feel like the MLS maybe failed to capitalize, whereas maybe the UFC was able to capitalize on the lack of other sports going on? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I was kind of disappointed in the MLS ratings. Um, first of all, I, I went out and played soccer on Sunday morning in uh, Fairmount Park and it was like 91 degrees in Philadelphia was dying. Like, I, I can't imagine what it's like playing down there in Orlando at 97 degrees. And so they tried to do this, these like 9 a.m. TV slots and then like 8.30 and 10.30 TV slots. <laughs> it was just like too early or too late. You know what I mean? Um, it's nice to see that the union are playing well and they're still in the tournament, but the TV ratings did translate. UFC, I was surprised that they had as many people watching. But again, it was they got out in front before anybody. You know, and Dana White took criticism when he went down to Jacksonville and tried to make it work. They tried to make it work at Tachi Palace, the, the Native American um, reservation or resort out in California, and he got really criticized for that. But at the same time, uh, you know, it's you, you take a risk and you try to make it work, and uh, he's reaping the benefits of that. So 
Um, but even, even some of the positives that MLS got from it, you have a lot of people now like on here on Twitter today on social media saying, well, MLS made it work, you know, so what's MLB's problem? So they're getting some publicity out of it and they're getting some, some plaudits for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just these sort of fringe non four for four sports were just like, well, we see an opportunity here. We're going to go for it. And um, you know, they, the NWSL and MLS seem to do an okay job with their bubbles. So uh, if, if anything, it's just a guide for how other sports can do it. Absolutely. Again, follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Crossing Broad joined us here on the Boardwalk on the Hotline. Kevin, appreciate the time as always. Anytime. I will uh, talk to you guys in the future and tell Gil that I said, hey, wherever he is. <laughs> he's somewhere. I don't know where. Parts unknown he's at. <laughs> always good stuff from Kevin Kincaid here on 97.3 ESPN. Absolutely. What do you think? I got to I got to say there's something to be said for the fact that what he just said. The MLS can figure it out. Why can't baseball? I mean, that's got to be the echo chamber right now, right? That's got to be the man. I mean, that that just feels like a punch in the, you know, the the gut right there. Well, doesn't it come back to the conversation about the bubble? Uh, because these players did not want to be in a bubble. So that's why the MLS was able to figure it out. If they, if all the players said, no, we're not doing a bubble, and they had to do what baseball is doing, I think you would see them in the same situation. Any of these sports, really, no? Well, look, most of the sports are in a bubble. And that's why I think it's fair to question, is the NFL going to work? Because they're not going to be able to do it unless they find a way. Maybe Roger Goodell looks at what's happening right now in baseball, and they go, we have to find a bubble city. Do you think that that's possible? No fans, bubble city, maybe there's three of them, and they have bubble cities, so the NFL doesn't have to travel? There might be a way to do this without bubbling, but I think it has to come down to those restrictions. Like, you go to a building, more than 15 people, you're suspended, you could lose your pay for that week. Like, I, I think the problem with baseball is they don't have strict enough requirements on the outside like I feel like the NBA and these other sports are just so hyper serious about sticking to the rules whereas baseball was like I said they were more concerned about the money than they were about the, the protocols but isn't it easier to be more serious when you're locked down in Orlando in a bubble like Whoa. you can't tell people when they're not in a bubble city hey when you go home you you can't leave. It just it doesn't work that way. But in the bubble, it's you better not cross this line, and it's way easier to do that. Well, I mean, it's easy to say that now, but look what happened with Rashawn Holmes and Lou Williams. And, I mean, heck, how about Porzingis? They didn't allow him to leave his room because he missed one test. They told him, you can't leave your room. You didn't get a test. His ring registered. Like, what's wrong with you? You didn't take a test. You're not allowed to go to the game. Well, I'd argue that they're not being strict enough. I mean, Lou Williams, to me, shouldn't even be allowed back into the whole entire bubble. Well, that's part of the players' union agreement with the league. you got to give them some sort of wiggle room. Well, is strip clubs and hot wings wiggle room? Well, I don't think the league expected him to go stop by the strip club and get the hot wings well, they when should've. he said he's going to somebody's funeral. Now, D-Ray and I were talking, and I said, what do you think Kawhi thinks about this? D-Ray believes that Kawhi was there with them and then escaped. I doubt that. I know. <laughs> I think Kawhi, but do you think Kawhi's stepping up and being the leadership? Hey, what are you doing out there? There's no way, right? That's not his style, no, is the, it? No, the, the guy who's stepping up and getting in Lou Williams' face is Pat Beverly. Oh, yeah. Or, come on, Pat Beverly wasn't there with him? Well, Pat Beverly's already back on the court. He didn't have to get quarantined. He got tested the whole time. 
Pat Beverly's going to fight somebody. I'm telling you right now. You think there's going to be a fight? There might be a fight at some point. Maybe not with Lou Williams, but Pat Bev's going to say the wrong thing somewhere along this bubble, and there's going to be tensions that are going to build inside the bubble. Well, that's what Keith Smith said to Gil and I on last Friday, or last Thursday at 5.30 when he comes on, and I never thought about that. A heated game, and then you go back to your own spots, but guess what? Now, your own spot, you're in the same exact environment. (laughs) Ping pong goes wild in the NBA bubble. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh. We got headlines coming up next. Here on 97.3 ESPN, text board is open, 609-403-0973. Also, football at 4, Jeff Mosher joins the show at 4 p.m., powered by Inside the Birds Podcast. There's never an off-season for the NFL. It's football at 4, every day at 4 p.m. on the Along with Hunter Brody, I'm Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESP. I want to remind you to place your legal sports bets at playjuggerhouse.com. Sign up now and they'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to playsugarhouse.com and start betting on golf, UFC, boxing, Korean baseball, and real money casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We'll start with this, Josh. The other week, we talked about the New York Knicks and what they were going to do with the head coach. Yes. Looks like they got their man. Boy, what a change about right there. Right? Because I remember the story came up because there was a falling out between Thibodeau and what was going on with the New York Knicks. And now, here they are. According to Woj, Woj is back, by the way. I was just going to say, there's another headline for you. Woj is back. Uh, Out of nowhere, by the way. He just tweeted. There was no, hey, I'm back. He just went for a a transaction tweet. He did have an interview with, I think it was Andrew Martian of The Post, about basically he was like, look. like He he felt like he had to do like a interview, right? So he did with Martian. He didn't really say a ton in the interview, but it was mostly like, I'm embarrassed. I feel like I let everybody down, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so Woj came out on Saturday and explained that the reason why the Thibodeau deal got done is because Leon Rose, who used to work with CAA, is still friends with Thibodeau's agent. And that they kind of went around James Dolan and got the deal done. How do you feel about that? Huh. It's a little scummy, no? Is it scummy or is it smart? I don't know. I mean, how can you start going around people? I feel like that's already a recipe for a disaster to an extent. Well, some people say you might have to go around James Dolan to ever get anything done with the Knicks. But I don't see, I, I totally understand that, right? Like, here's a guy who sort of is a dumpster fire when it comes to this organization, but how can you expect this to operate correctly if you have to do it this way? I think it's interesting that the Dolan went out of his way to hire people who are not traditional front office people for the first time ever, right? You know, Leon Rose, former agent. And we've seen the former agents have some success. You know, Bob Myers over with the Warriors. Now Rob Palenka with the Lakers. Although Palenka's resume is pretty small at this point. But Mayer just got a legitimate resume at this point. I think there has to be something to be said for Dolan obviously brought in Leon Rose. And then Leon Rose brought in, um, you know, Wesley, Worldwide West for a reason. And this is probably one of those reasons that Dolan maybe. Maybe he's acknowledging that he's an imbecile and that he needs somebody else who's a better of a smoother operator than he is. I'm not disagreeing that you gotta 
I, I don't know. I mean, there needs to be change in New York. There's no doubt about it. The Knicks, they're on another level of really poor when it comes to how they're being ran as an organization. But I just don't see how tiptoeing around the top guy makes this a, a good thing. He's the one with all the power. He can do anything. So he starts hearing about what's happening. I mean, it can get even worse than it already is. Or do they look at it as, can it get worse than what it already is? Maybe it's worth a shot to try it. Hey, listen, I think the Knicks guy do something. They and do. They definitely I do. I just don't know if Thibodeau is the right guy, though. I know. With this type of team. It's such a young team. I know. And he's a guy. Maybe, maybe he realized he needs to change his ways with this team, and he's willing to do that. We won't know until we see it. So if he's openly saying, I won't be a hard ass, I'll be a little bit different, I'll be more of a player's coach, I will approach this differently than I ever have before, maybe it's a different thing. The problem is he approached the Timberwolves differently and they couldn't play defense. Remember that? The Timberwolves, his last couple of years there, they were miserable in the defense. End. That was his calling card, his whole coaching career. So now... How much more is he going to change? Is he going to go back to playing defense? Is he still going to is he going to play RJ Barrett 40 minutes a night? Like what what's going to happen here? Does he does he permanently bench Kevin Knox cuz Knox doesn't hustle down the other end of the court? Like what I am so curious to see how good or horrible this could go with Tibbs and the Knicks. And by the way, if Tibbs doesn't work out with the Knicks, does Leon Rose stay the executive with the Knicks? I think he does. I think he does. Do you think that there's a chance he's out of there? I don't know with Dolan. He is a crazy dude. I mean, he's he literally bans people from MSG because they chant that they don't want him there anymore. Yeah. You would think that you have enough, I don't know, you block out the noise. You have enough inside you to not pay attention to that because they're going to continue to scream it louder and louder. And What are you going to do, ban every single person from MSG? It's such a bad look. Such a bad look. It's a horrible look. But you know what? Welcome to the Knicks land, right? I guess you're way, right. The Knicks aren't in the bubble, so who cares what happens to the Knicks, right? I mean, I want to see the Knicks continue to struggle for years and years and years. <laughs> not going to lie to you. Let's transition to baseball, though, because you're seeing, outside of the COVID-19 outbreak with the Marlins, you're seeing a lot of injuries happen to starting pitching. We see Justin Verlander is shut down, but then he comes out and says, hold on, I don't know if I'm shut down yet. Kluber, shoulder tear, out at least four weeks. You are seeing pitchers getting injured, and I guess we can all relate it to the wonky type of spring training, then being shut down, then going to summer training, and it's just been a weird cycle for these pitchers. It's been a weird cycle, and it's also been something where I can't overlook Remember Joe Kelly, the video came out with months ago? Hilarious video. Where he threw the ball into his house instead of the pitching net? Yeah, and his wife walked in and said, Come on, Joe, the ball's through the glass. Right. And that's that's what I keep falling back to when I see these pitchers having issues. Oh, so that's why Vince Velasquez had a bad outing? No. No, he had a bad outing because he shouldn't be a starting pitcher. What about Reggie McLean? Reggie McLean might be the best bullpen pitcher right now. Please stop. <laughs> these microphones are on, Josh. Stop it. But seriously, I I think there is something to be said for these pitchers telling them to take off for basically three months, and then let's get back on the wagon, boys. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't compute for me, Hunter. I'm with you. I think it's uh I think it's definitely serious when it comes to pitching. But don't you think that these pitchers were working on getting themselves ready for the season to come back? I actually read 
something pretty interesting about Tommy Hunter. And Tommy Hunter was saying he had family, friends come over. He was continuing to throw to make sure that he would be ready for whenever he got the opportunity to get back out there on the field because, if you remember, he was on the list that nobody can speak about. So he had people come over, stand there for him, and just so we can get his arm ready to go. You would think these top guys in Kluber and Verlander were doing similar situations throughout this stoppage. Well, listen, there was a story about how a bunch of baseball players got together for secret workouts together in different sandlots around the country, you know, trying to prepare for the return of the season. So I think there are some guys who were, though, more prepared than others. Now, I think Verlander... I think He's his issue 37 is, now. I, I was going to say, I think his issue is more of his age than anything else. It's I, pretty impressive, though, that he hasn't been injured really before. I mean, he's been a guy who has consistently been able to get on that mound. And at age 37, that is a lot. That is hard to do in this league. I think the age is more of the issue for him than the, the training. You know what I mean? Whereas Kluber, I can't speak to what his workout regimen is, but I will say it feels like for Kluber, he's been regressing for the last few years anyway, like his overall skill set. So you gotta have to wonder, you know, was something going to happen? That's fair. Now, I think that is very reasonable to look at somebody's age. Now, we're gonna bounce to football. We're gonna go to another sport here. Alright. It looks like that Washington football's team, Alex Smith, expected to begin camp on the PUP. So I ask you the question, do you think there's a possibility that Alex Smith is a starting quarterback for the football team, Washington's football team, at any point this season? I would put the odds at 20%, and here's why. First of all, the idea that Dwayne Haskins and Kyle Allen are quote-unquote working together to get the offense to me is the most bogus thing in the world. They're competing. All right. Ron Rivera, he was not there when that team drafted Dwayne Haskins. And they only drafted Dwayne Haskins because Daniel Snyder's son went to school with Haskins. All right. So I understand already that there's a segment of the building that's like, did we really believe in this Haskins guy? Meanwhile, here comes Alex Smith, and if he is seriously healthy, and I hope for his sake he really is healthy because that leg injury was horrific. And Did I you knew, see the E60? I was going to say, I saw the E60 with everything he's gone through to recover. I hope for his sake he has recovered, but let me tell you something. Alex Smith, if he's anything like he was before, is a starting NFL quarterback. Kyle Allen, I think he's closer to a backup. Dwayne Haskins... I think the jury is still out. So if this is like week 10 and the Redskins are like one in nine and then here comes Alex Smith riding in on a white horse to save the day, I wouldn't rule out. I'm on the same page as you. I think Ron Rivera might look at that as an opportunity to get an experienced guy out there and to get a shakeup. It depends though. If they're winning football games, then you don't do it. But if not, then yeah, I think there's an opportunity. Now, shame on me for not starting headlines with this one. Because there's been so much going on with the Marlins and the Phillies and the Sixers. This should have totally opened up headlines and shame on me. Okay. But Seattle makes the big trade. All right. They get Adams. They trade the two first rounders. They get a third in return. And they also get a safety back in return. Correct? Big package. What the hell? That's my question to you, Josh. How do you respond? Well, first of all, this isn't the first time Seattle has traded a ton of draft picks for a player. So we know that they have a history of doing this. Hello, Jadavion Clowney. The problem for Seattle is 
they're getting to a point where it feels like they're just making trades and they're running out of like ideas. Like at some point, don't you gotta draft your own players? Like at some point, you gotta draft your own guys and develop them and get them on the field. Like I'm not saying if Jamal Adams isn't available, you don't go out and get him. But it feels like at some point you gotta stop trading draft picks. Just draft the right players. It's a hefty package. You look at what the Steelers gave up for someone like Fitzpatrick and. I think Josh Adams, or I'm sorry, Jamal Adams, Josh, Josh Adams, oh, pound the rock. Remember us right. screaming at Doug Peterson, <laughs> run the ball. Jamal Adams, he's a better player than Fitzpatrick. But that is such a heavy package when you weigh the difference in skill level between the two. I think it helps the Seattle Seahawks, but I question down the road, are they going to be in a really tough spot when they don't have these low-paying players. That's the thing. With Russell Wilson, this contract, it's so hefty. you got to rely on hitting these draft picks so you don't pay them a lot of money and they they can succeed. You're losing out on those opportunities. I will say this. This trade, we don't know fully until Joe Douglas makes those picks. We won't know if this deal was legitimately good for either team or not until about five, six years from well, now. Well, I do think it's good for the Jets. Regardless on if they hit on the right players or not, what they got in return is A+. plus. Let me just remind you that teams like the Browns and the Rams have given up hefty packages for teams to move up, and they've done nothing with those picks. But that's a different argument. So I think drafting well is a different argument than getting back something in return. It's half the battle, don't get me wrong. But I do think in terms of, okay, what did you get back for it? Wow, that package is great. You got to execute once you get that package. But getting that package deserves recognition. It, it does. I just feel like there's a point where I'm not willing to give a winner or loser label on this trade. Until I see what Douglas does with the picks, that's all. And I think that that's totally reasonable, no doubt. You have to see what comes out from these picks, but just to see that type of package for Jamal Adams, a guy you knew didn't want to get there, and Joe Douglas is very new at this job. How do people now look at him if they get rid of Adam Gase? How intriguing is that head coaching job knowing you got a ton of first-round picks in the mix? It's definitely a conversation. we got to talk more about it with Jeff Mosher coming up at Football at 4, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, Football at 4 every day. At 4 o'clock on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. He's Hunter Brody. I'm Josh Henning. We got one more segment coming up. We're going to extend headlines for one more segment. Because there's a story that's football related. That Hunter and I need to touch on as well. Coming up on the other side right here on 97.3 ESPN. FM. By the way, ask Broads and Josh 430. Send your questions. 609-403-0973. 97.3 ESPN-FM. So, bros, I want to hit on this story real quick with you. So, I don't know if you saw this. So, have you ever watched Good Morning Football on NFL Network? Of course. So, Kyle Brandt, eccentric guy. So, he went out of his way today to go on Twitter. And he kind of started a bit of a storm on the, on Twitterverse. Kyle Brandt, this is, I'm going to quote his exact tweet. And I want to get your immediate reaction. There's a segment of the NFL media that seems to be almost rooting for covid to affect the season. They want it. They see the Marlins news and say, yep, lots of luck, football. Unquote. These are people who are making their livings off of football. I don't get it. That's Kyle Brandt's tweet this morning that's pretty much started a, a, a pretty crazy mess on Twitter. Well, the way I see it is, I think it's a little ridiculous with what he tweeted out because I don't think they're rooting for it. Are they rooting for COVID? No. I think it's realistic, though, to say 
this is a real thing. Good luck, football. We're going to have to find a way around this, or we're going to have to find a way to get through the season with it. But I don't think people are rooting for it. He says they want it. I don't think anybody wants COVID-19 to be in play. How do you see this? Well, I think that there is a part of the media that is a little pessimistic in general. But is it because they're afraid to get it, or is it because they don't want football? I mean, the way he words this, it's almost like they want COVID-19. Media people want COVID-19 to happen, so they don't have to participate in the season as media members no, I don't or think whatever. he means that. I think what Kyle Brand is asking the question of is, why does it seem like people are so eager to say, I told you so? That kind of mentality. Well, if that was his message, I think he did a poor job of getting it out there. Ross Tucker, who's been on the Sports Bash before, tweeted this back to Kyle Brain. He says, it feels like there's a high, highly correlation between people's general disposition. Negative, pessimistic people focus on concerns and issues. Positive, optimistic people focus on solutions and answers. And I think that's the better answer. I do agree with that, but I don't think it's bad to look at it from a, a air, air quotes here, pessimistic view because you realize that this is a big issue that you need to get over these hurdles. So I, I do think it's reasonable to look at it from that standpoint so you can get over certain spots. I just think there would be pessimism and objectivity. Objectively saying, this is a problem versus, you know, I told you so. I think they're just two different issues. I agree completely.